In this episode of Fictional Hangover, we talk about a creepy house with creepy roses and a creepy ghost, putting people into holes, and holy yikes, unsolicited ghostly dick pics in our discussion (laughs) of Horrid by Katrina Leno. Welcome to Fictional Hangover, a podcast about young adult and new adult books, series, authors, and voice actors that is full of spoilers. I'm Amanda. I slowed it down that time. Ooh. You really did. I thought you were th- really thinking about it. <laughs> and I'm Claire, and today we're going to discuss Horrid by Katrina Leno. Standard disclaimer. If you haven't read this book, please remember that Fictional Hangover is all about spoilers. If you haven't read or listened and don't want to be spoiled, stop listening to us and go read or listen to the book. Then come back. If you haven't done this but want to pretend that you have, or if you don't care about spoilers, or if you just like the show so much that you don't care about any of that, then listen up. Yay. <laughs> I'm still trying to figure out what you said. I can't wait to go back and edit it. I'm still trying to figure out what I said. <laughs> Katrina? Katina? Cantina? Can- I've been reading a lot of, watching a lot of Star Wars, so it you might be Cantina. might have said Cantina, I've and then you it. might have had some blue milk. Yes, that is currently what is happening. I am very embroiled in the Star Wars world right now. All media is tuned to Star Wars. I'm feeling the force, and this has got nothing to do with it. This is the exact opposite, it feels like. Yeah. There's no space. There's no space involved in this book. I mean, we're getting there. Next mm-hmm. month we'll have spacey things. Next month we'll have Star Wars, but not this month. Well, why don't you give us some background information to fill us in on what we are talking about. All right. About. So I read an interview on quillsandstardust.com with Katrina Leno. And they talk about... The creepy poem slash nursery rhyme that is, like, the theme of this book and why she did that. And she says that she was trying to, um, what's the word? Paraphrasing. Thank you. I'm paraphrasing all of this because it's a really long thing that I pulled. But she said that she had just finished working on her previous book called You Must Not Miss, which follows the same thing. Like, there's a poem in that one and and it's broken down into pieces of the poem and you know she uh she just really liked that and this one was really creepy and her mom used to say it to her when she was little because she had a curl that came down in the middle of her forehead and her mom would recite the poem to her and like boing her curl in her face and she decided that that was really creepy and then (laughs) those creepy memories became the inspiration and the jumping off point for this book so oh, thanks, so. Katrina Leno's mom, for reciting creepy poetry to your daughter. Nursery rhymes are all creepy. Yeah, they really are. They're all about death. They're all about the plague. Racism. Rats. Yeah, the odd. Like, yeah. yeah. When my son was little and we were trying to think of nursery rhymes, I had to relearn nursery rhymes and trying to think of ones that weren't freaking weird or creepy. Yeah. Couldn't couldn't be done. Well, the one that is in this book, I guess we should share which one it is because I don't really mention it a lot in the summary, but it is 
adapted from Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. It's there was a little girl who had a little curl right in the middle of her forehead. And when she was good, she was very, very good. But when she was bad, she was horrid. And it's so good. The book follows this poem and it's so creepy and weird and fantastic. And those are my initial thoughts. Is there anything that isn't creepier than children? No. Unless you're a ghost. Spoiler alert! Creepy ghost children. Creepy ghost children. What is better than that? Nothing. It's pretty good. Slender man has a child. Mm. Creepy slender child. Creepy slender child. I like that. Is that your initial thought? Creepy slender child? Yeah. Creepy slender child. Yeah, there we go. That's great. That's really did you have any did you seriously have anything that you wanted to say before we start this summary? The word creepy and that's it. Okay. That is it. Just, just creepy. creepy. Just all creepy, just creepy all the time. Yeah. Sounds about right. It's appropriate. <laughs> it is indeed appropriate. All right. Jane North Robinson and her mother, Ruth North, are moving to Bells Hollow, Maine from Los Angeles. Jane's father, Greer, recently passed away, leaving Ruth and Jane with nothing. So they're moving across the country and into the house that Ruth grew up in. They've only been in Maine for about 30 minutes when the rain falls so heavily that they have to stop their drive and head into a bookstore where Jane buys a book. She also spots an Agatha Christie collection, which she loves. This reminds her of choosing to eat her first book. Mm. Yep, eating a book. When she turned 10, Jane asked her parents for a new bike, and when they got her a scooter instead, she got so mad that she ate a page of Alice in Wonderland. For some reason, eating that page soothed her, so she kept on eating every night until she was left with only the cover. Since then, she's refilled the empty covers of her eaten books with journal pages, and now she has a very large collection. It's one of the few things she was able to bring with her from L.A. to the creepy old house they've just arrived at. When they walk in the front door, Jane decides they're absolutely going to be murdered. Yep. (laughs) Uh, creepy house and man equals death. Yep. I've read enough Stephen King to know that. <laughs> the house is cold, dreary and dark, and some of the windows have been broken. So Jane and her mom sleep in sleeping bags in front of the fireplace in one of the many rooms on the main floor. Ruth has a crew coming to repair the windows, and the power should be restored the next day, so they put off really exploring much of the house until later. Don't disturb the ghosts. No, no, don't do it yet. (laughs) To get to the room with the fireplace, they pass through a few other rooms, including a sitting room with an expensive piano, a dining room and a small kitchen. When they get to the back of the house, Jane begins to smell roses, but it's not the season for them and Ruth hates them. So they move on to the study. The smell of roses is overwhelming. So Jane goes through the mud room and out to the backyard. She sees a light come on in one of the upstairs bedrooms and waves up at the shadow that passes by the window and continues looking around the yard. There are roses everywhere. 
When Ruth comes out to find Jin and bring her back inside, Jin mentions all the roses and that it's good to have the power on. But no, Ruth says, there was no light on and she hasn't even been upstairs. It must have just been a power surge. Definitely nothing that will cause anyone's imminent demise. Really, though? Really? Power surge. Really? Definitely. That's definitely what it was. The things people will say to delude themselves. So much delusion in this book, by the way. Yeah. Ruth and Jane get some shopping done and then settle in for the night. Ruth falls asleep almost immediately while Jane looks through messages on her phone and contemplates sending one to her best friend back in L.A., Sal, but she doesn't have a signal. Then she scrolls down to see the last message her father ever sent. It was just a quick outside, but it makes Jane very sad. If only Greer was outside right now. Then she hears a tapping on the side of the house. Is he out there? No, no, he's not. It's just an old tree. Jane finally manages to go to sleep. The next morning, she decides she's going to go to school, even though Ruth told her that she could wait until Monday to start. On the bus, she finally gets signal on her phone and texts Sal that she's definitely going to be murdered inside the house. Definitely. Definitely. Definite murder happening. (laughs) When Jane gets to school, the secretary assigns her a first-year buddy, Alana Kanzler, who shows her around. She asks about Jane's first day and how her move was, since this is a small town and everybody knows everybody, and Jane is obviously new to the area. When Jane tells her she moved into her grandmother Amelia North's house, Alana seems taken aback and says, after a brief pause, that everyone calls that house the Creep House. At lunch, Alana introduces Jane to Susie, who lives nearby the creep house, and offers to give Jane rides to and from school since they live so close to each other. Alana's cousin, Melanie, knocks into Alana's chair and they inform Jane that she's a horrible bully. Yes, she really is. She is the worst. School passes and as Susie drops Jane off in the afternoon, they talk briefly about Jane's move and their trade phone numbers. Back inside the house, Jane and Ruth talk a little about exploring the house more in the coming days and about why Ruth never came back to Maine to visit her mother after she moved away. Jane feels like her mother is keeping secrets from her, like expensive travel isn't the only reason why Ruth never came back to North Manor. Yeah. Pointed look? Mm. Is it time for pointed looks yet? Already? I'm looking over my glasses at her. Mm Mm-hmm. That night, still sleeping in front of the fireplace, Jane wakes when she hears a thumping, a sharp scream, and the shattering of glass. Jane gets pissed and runs out the mudroom door, trying to catch the jerks who are breaking her windows. She sees two or maybe three shadows running away and angrily storms back toward the house, but stops when she notices that there is a light on upstairs. She sees a hand press against the window, but then the light goes out and everything goes dark. There's someone inside your house! Wait. (gasps) Check the egg timer and the button. No! (laughs) Where's the puzzle? Oh, 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 snap. (laughs) Jane goes back inside to find a frantic Ruth and no one else inside the house. 
Jane is so angry that she doesn't even realise she stepped on broken glass and now has tiny cuts all over the bottoms of her feet. Yikes. She remembers another time that she got very angry when she was just six years old. She punched a kid over a Lego horse. Reasonable. I can relate. Her dad told her that she can't go around punching everyone because it's not the right way to solve problems. Some problems, maybe. Mm. Jane returns to the present, but is still wistful over her father's death. And that Lego horse man. And that Lego horse man. (laughs) The next day, Jane walks around the house looking for Ruth and finds her outside in the backyard frantically cutting down all the roses, almost like she's in a trance. When she snaps out of it, Ruth abruptly asks Jane if she wants to go out for pancakes. So they head out for a local diner. Over breakfast, always, always is perfect <laughs> thing to do. Oh, I'm just frantically cutting all the roses. Pancakes! Yes! <laughs> Over breakfast, Ruth tells Jane that she got a part-time job helping out an old friend of hers. But then Jane notices someone staring at her mom. Ruth goes over to the man, who turns out to be an old doctor. He addresses Ruth as Ruth Ellen and stares awkwardly at Jane until she's introduced. He says it can't be easy being back in North Manor. Well, that's weird. Ruth chalks it up to a creepy old man being creepy. But still, it's very odd. Having never been to Maine, I get the impression that everyone who lives there is creepy. Everyone who lives there is a creepy old man being creepy? Yes. <laughs> Probably. Or will be a creepy old man being creepy. Yes. After this creepy encounter, Jane goes to a bookstore and cafe where she immediately feels at peace amongst the Agatha Christie books. <sighs> she meets Will, the young manager of the shop, and asks if they have any job openings, which they do. And she is pretty much hired on the spot. She also buys the ABC Mysteries and Will borrows it since she likes Agatha Christie so much. He trades her the book for free coffee and she leaves the shop, set to return the next week to begin working. Jane and her mum go home and have a pretty normal rest of the day. They get things more set up in their home, get the windows repaired and can actually use their phones inside now. Yay! Yay. Jane texts Sal, has dinner and gets ready for bed. As she prepares for sleep, hopefully they'll have sleep on the floor for a little bit, Jane feels something brush along her foot in the bottom of the sleeping bag. It's a rose petal. Oh. Weird. Rose petal or spider? Which one would Mm, be better? Rose petal is definitely better, but it's still weird. Yeah, how did that get there? Hard to say. Wind? Wind. It was the creepy tree that was tapping on the side of the house. Yes. It just reached inside and put a rose petal in there. Of course. That's very sensible. It is. The next day, Jane pretty much forgets about the rose petal. She and Ruth get to work on the upstairs. There are eight bedrooms, but Ruth requests they avoid her parents' old room and the storage room that is closed off because she's not ready to deal with those rooms just yet. Jane picks one near the front of the house and begins carrying boxes up. Unfortunately, her box of books rips open and paperbacks topple all down the stairs. She gets upset when she realizes one of her favorite Agatha Christie's Poirot loses a client, was ripped in the fall. She's so flustered and angry that when she gets to her room, she pulls out another book, The Lion, The Witch, and The Wardrobe, and eats page 51. 
Once relieved of her stress, she begins undoing the bed, removing the duvet, and making a pile of linens to wash. As she's doing this, her door creaks open, but no one is there. Before going to bed that night, Jane pulls the bookshelf in front of the door, just in case. Sensible. Removing the duvet. It's my, the next... it's my kind of duvet, not your kind of duvet. American duvet. No such thing as an American duvet. <laughs> Bloody comforters. <laughs> the next morning, Susie picks Jane up for school. Jane shares about her new job of beans and books, which Susie loves because that is her brother's shop. They also talk about why Jane and her mom moved back to the house Ruth grew up in because Jane's dad died. Mm. And Susie is super nice about it. Classes pass. Then at lunch, Alana finds Jane at her locker. Melanie comes by with her boyfriend and asks Alana if she's finished doing her homework for her typical bully fashion. Because ugh. she's ugh, ugh. ugh. But the then worst. she starts talking to Jane. Jane realizes that Melanie and her boyfriend were the one breaking windows at her house. So she says if she does it again, she'll call the police. Melanie takes this as a threat, but the boyfriend is able to get her to leave. Threat and promise, Melanie. Uh, threat and promise. Seriously. There's a lot of weirdness between Melanie and Jane about Jane being back in the house, but Jane doesn't understand and gets angry. Alana tells Jane she should avoid Melanie, then shares why she's been doing her cousin's homework. Melanie's older sister is in poor health after an accident when she was younger, and Alana feels bad about it. All this is very weird to Jane. After school, she spends a lot of time thinking about Melanie and her sister and what she has to do with any of it. But thoughts are cut short when her mom gets home with dinner. As Ruth washes up, Jane notices a strong smell of roses. But didn't Ruth butcher all of them? <laughs> oh yeah, she did. Jane goes outside and sees even more rose bushes growing. But instead of pretty pink and red flowers, all the roses are black. Fucking yikes. She could make a fortune selling them to goths and emos. She really, really could. I mean, you could even you could even make a fortune just selling the regular ones, not to goths so, and emos, to regular people, because it is not rose time. Yeah. She needs to learn from the Capitalism. Kaylin Bayron book. The that we read with the poison garden. This poison heart. Yes. She needs she needs to learn from them and grow she does. grow things and sell them. Yes, she does. She does. Capitalism. Yes. Yes. <laughs> College fund. <laughs> Ruth refuses to look at or even talk about the roses, and Jane goes to bed with a weird feeling in her belly. Why is her mom being so weird? She's, she's weird about weird? everything. She's weird. She's weird about everything. Jane calls Sal after Ruth goes to bed, and they decide that Ruth is just tired, and there's nothing exceptionally wrong with the roses, except for that they keep, you know, just popping up out of nowhere. And they're growing black. And they're black. There's, not, there's nothing weird about that. It's fine. Jane's upset about the weirdness and about missing Sal and her dad, so she goes to bed, too. School passes without incident the next day. Then Jane begins her job at Beans and Books, which also passes without incident. Jane likes Will, and they talk about the Agatha Christie book he borrowed from her. 
They joke a bit. She's fired and rehired several times, and Jane is able to think about something other than the mass of black roses in her backyard and her mom being weird. (laughs) Just always live at the bookstore, man. Don't go back home. I mean, to be fair, it's a bookstore, and it's called Beans and Books. Yeah, and there's coffee. Living there, yeah. Yeah, just move in. Bring your petal-filled sleeping bag and move in. Yes. When Jane gets home from work that night, Ruth is out with co-workers from her new job. So Jane is alone in the house. Or at least she thinks she is. No, thank you. She hears quiet laughter and then what sounds like a marble rolling across the floor. And the sounds are coming from the storage room. I would nope out of there Mm -mm, right now. Nope. Gone. uh -uh. Out. Gone. Move into the bookstore. Yeah. She braves her way upstairs and towards the storage room door, but stops when she sees a marble rolling out from underneath the door until it stops in the middle of the hallway. No fucking thank you very much. No. <laughs> no, 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 no. The marble reminds her of a time when she was in elementary school and a bully stole her marble that looked exactly like this one she just found. She got so angry with that bully that she cut off her ponytail. <laughs> Was she arrested and drawn out of Hawaii? Quite possibly. <laughs> that, that is just... Please see last week. <laughs> Jane snaps out of her memory and back into the hallway of the house. She approaches the storage room door and looks underneath it, expecting to see boxes, but she doesn't see a single one. It looks like a perfectly normal little girl's bedroom under there. And then the doorbell rings. Nope. Fuck it. Get out. <laughs> just nope out of that right straight. Out. Just get out. Hey, guess what? It gets worse. Jane goes oh, downstairs no. to answer the door, expecting Ruth, who maybe had just forgotten her house keys, but no. No one is there. <sighs> she walks outside to take a look around, but sees no one. When she turns to go back into the house, she's startled to see a single red rose in front of the door. There is no way she could have missed it when she stepped outside. She carries the rose inside and tosses it onto a table next to the door, then catches a glimpse of herself in the mirror in the entryway and stops. She looks different in her reflection. Her hair is a little bit darker She looks tired and sunken. And in her hands is the rose she threw on the table. Nope. The thorns prick the skin of her palm. She looks down at her hand and sees that she really is holding the rose. And it's covered in blood. (laughs) This entire thing. Put it in the fucking bucket. I love it. It's great. So <laughs> creepy as. The next day, Juicy... Ju- Juicy? Juicy? <laughs> Juicy Susie and Jane. Yeah. I'm shipping that. Yeah, I can The next day, Susie picks Jane up from school and says that Alana's not going to be joining them. Her cousin, Melanie's ill older sister, died the night before. Oh, no. Alana told Susie that the nurses were confused when they found her because her hands and arms were all cut up. Alana and Melanie miss school for a little bit, Melanie longer than Alana and time passes. 
Soon enough, it's a week before Halloween. Susie invites Jane to go to the Halloween dance with her and Alana and they talk about picking out costumes. This lifts Alana's spirits. She's very sad about Melanie's sister, so Jane can't even begin to imagine how Melanie feels. Later, after chemistry class, the teacher, Mr Barker, catches Jane before she leaves the classroom. He asks her how she's settling in and tells her he went to school with her mother, who he also calls Ruth Ellen, and to send his regards. He says it was a shame when she left and always wondered if she was okay. Hmm. That's odd. That is odd. Outside in the hallway, Jane sees Melanie and offers her condolences. She shares that her father recently passed away so she can commiserate, but Melanie's not having it. She tells her to get the fuck away and says Jane has no idea how she feels. What's her deal? Jane's actually, like, trying to be nice to her. Jane gets so angry thinking about how Melanie is treating her, so she opens her locker, pulls off a corner of a page from her English textbook, and puts it into her mouth. The glossy page doesn't melt in her mouth like her normal book pages and does nothing to soothe her anger, so she spits it out onto the floor. She eventually calms down, but spends a lot of time thinking about how angry she always gets and how she can't undo the things that she's done. Her dad can't undie. She can't unmove to this town, though she really wishes that she could. Mm -hmm. That evening at work, Jane finds another of her favourite Agatha Christie books. And, of course, Will takes a from <laughs> I love Will. He says the timing is perfect because he just finished the other one he borrowed from her, so they talk a little bit about Hercule Poirot and trade books. Jane is still a little bit sad about everything that happened earlier, and Will checks on her. She tells him about her father dying, and he's kind about it. And then they talk about the lattes. He got new flavours to add to them recently. Lavender and rose. No, thank you. The lavender is good, and then he asks if Jane wants a rose latte, but she says no, she doesn't like roses. Mm. Given what's going on at Creepy House, Mm-mm. yeah. Nope, do not That's like. That's understandable. Do not like. Later, after work, Jane calls Sal. Sal apologizes for missing Jane's calls the night before, but Jane didn't call Sal, especially not at one o'clock in the morning. She was asleep by 9.30. Maybe her phone is broken or something because she definitely didn't make those calls. The rest of the conversation is awkward after that, and it ends abruptly, leaving Jane feeling queasy. The only thing that can make her feel better after this mostly terrible day is eating a page from The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. After feeling better for a brief moment, Jane begins to feel uneasy. She hears someone moving around in the storage room. But then she remembers it's not a storage room. She walks toward the room and realizes a light is on inside. Then she sees a shadow pass under the door. And then the lights turn off. And then the doorknob turns. No! Then the door slowly opens an inch. (sighs) Nope. No thank you. Jane hears her mom come in the front door and bolts downstairs. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. Are we learning lessons here, people? Don't live in creepy houses. No, get out. Jane tells Ruth that there's somebody upstairs, so they grab knives and call 911. Reasonable. 
Yes. They head for the mudroom door, but then Ruth remembers her keys are in the front door. No. So she has to go back through the house. She makes it safely through and they leave for the police station. Jane looks up at her bedroom window and watches as a light in there turns off. Nope, stop it. Ruth asks Jane what happened and she explains hearing a person walking around and seeing shadows and light from the storage room. She tells Ruth that it's not a storage room anymore and asks if maybe someone could be living in there since the house was empty for a while before they moved in. Jane says she thought it was Ruth and that her brain was trying to make it be Ruth so it wouldn't be so scary. Ruth says that they're safe and then they arrive at the police station. Ruth knows the officer, Officer Elton, who helps them from her teenage years and after he takes Jane's hand and says, you look exactly like her. Ruth asks to speak with him privately to tell him what happened. Jane doesn't think she looks too much like her mom, especially when she was younger, and she really thinks that she should tell the officer what happened to herself, but Ruth insists on speaking to him alone. Jane is left by herself, feeling uncomfortable and left out of something that she should be included in. She gets on her phone while she's sitting alone and sees a text from Sal saying, Okay, weirdo. That doesn't make any sense to Jane, until she scrolls back through the messages she's sent to Sal and finds one that says, Everything is so good. Everything is perfect. I love it here. Uh, Jane did not send that message. That would be like, you know, you know I've been kidnapped if I say this kind of thing. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. When they leave the police station, Jane is freaked out, basically. Did she even see any of that stuff that happened? Did she make it all up? The police said there was no one inside their house, so she must have made it up. Or maybe she's seeing things. Officer Elton escorts them back to their house and walks through with Ruth to check one more time. Jane feels uneasy as she sits down to eat while Ruth walks through the house. She thinks back to when Melanie was outside breaking windows. Is it possible that it was Melanie who broke in? Was it Melanie who sent those calls and messages from her phone? And why would she even do that? No, it probably wasn't Melanie. It doesn't make any sense. No. When the officer leaves and Ruth sits down to eat, she offers to let Jane stay home from school the next day to rest after this exhausting night, but Jane turns her down. Ruth thinks that's ridiculous. I agree. If her mother had given her the option to stay home from school, she would have accepted without question. She didn't care for school and got in trouble a lot. Jane didn't know this about her mother, but when she asks more about it, Ruth changes the subject. It seems like Ruth is hiding something from Jane. She goes to her room to go to bed not long after, eating another page from her book and listening to Greer's voicemail message before falling into an uneasy sleep. The next morning is strained. Ruth couldn't sleep, so she started going through the things in her father's study and found a lot of old boring paperwork. Jane asks if her mom remembers her teacher, Mr Barker, and comments on the old name people always call her, Ruth Ellen. She explains that her mother was very proper and sophisticated and hated the simplicity of Jane's name. She also hated that once they moved away, they never came back to visit. But really, after living in the house for a short time, Ruth asks if Jane is truly surprised that she never wanted to come back home. I mean, no. Not at all. Was it haunted when mm. she lived there? Yeah, by a freaky old lady who's sophisticated and proper. <laughs> hated simplicity. 
haunted by her own living mother. Yes. <laughs> on the way to yes. school, Susie comments on the police driving by the night before, and Jane explains to her what happened, and that she probably made everything up. Susie doesn't think so, and says that if Jane was a true alarmist, she wouldn't be living in that house in the first place. Uh, why? Because it's creepy? Sure, that's it. Just go with that. Jane also talks about thinking it might have been Melanie who broke in, but she really doesn't know. They get to school, but decide to skip later and go get coffee. Jane and Alana have a lovely conversation about grief and how Melanie must be feeling, but also about how she's an asshole. Then they really think she is an asshole when Jane opens her locker to find everything inside shredded to bits. No one but Melanie would have done this. Susie says she'll take Jane to the mall to replace everything that weekend, and Alana plans to tell her mom, or, you know, maybe Melanie's mom, too. To take their minds off of all this terribleness, the three friends decide to have a sleepover at Susie's house. After work on Friday, the sleepover plans change. Susie can't host it anymore, and neither can Alana, so it falls to Jane and Creep House. Susie and Alana arrive in PJs with snacks and Jane orders pizzas. So far, so good. Yeah, yeah. She shows her friends around the house and they are stunned, but also find the house a little sad. Susie loves the room with the piano and sits down to play a beautiful song and then the pizza arrives. The delivery person is shitty about the house and Jane gets book-eating mad again. Susie and Alana are kind of afraid that Jane is going to punch the delivery person, but she doesn't, you know, points to her. She just needs to go and eat a page from her book real quick. She slips away from her friends, but before she can make it upstairs, she hears the piano again. And there's no one playing it. Mm-mm. Nope. Mm-mm. Stop it. Jane decides to eat pizza instead of paper, so she goes back to the living room with her friends. She starts to text Ruth, but then realizes that she already did... Ruth sent a message about eating dinner with her co-workers, and Jane replied for her to take her time, called her mama, and said that she was having lots of fun. That doesn't sound like Jane at all. She almost passes out, then her friends get her some food and they sit down to watch a movie together. Jane asks for Susie to turn up the volume... But doesn't tell her that it's because she's trying to drown out the piano music that apparently only she can hear. (laughs) The next day, Ruth makes breakfast for the girls and then they get ready to leave. Jane is being really weird and thinks that Susie and Alana can't wait to get the hell out of the house. She doesn't even walk them out. Ruth asks if Jane is okay and she flips out saying that she hates the house and breaks down crying. Ruth rushes to her and realises that she's burning up with fever. She sends her to bed while she runs out for medicine, but Jane decides she needs to text Susie and Alana to apologise and tell them she must have been sick and not realised it. She goes downstairs to get her phone, sends the text and then falls asleep standing up. She must have been really sick. She must have been. She staggers back upstairs, feeling like everything is wrong. And she's right. When she opens her bedroom, it's destroyed. And spelled out on the floor in rose petals, 
is the question, do books taste like roses? Jane screams and passes out. (laughs) Yikes. What the hell, man? (laughs) Fucking yikes. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Oh, don't worry. It gets worse. Oh, yay. (laughs) Hooray. When Jane wakes up, she can't move. She can't turn her head. She can't even scream. (gasps) She's been buried alive. But then she hears Will's voice and is back in the doorway of her bedroom. What the hell? Will gets Jane back into bed after explaining that he came to pick up Susie's phone that she accidentally left. But when she lies down, a puff of rose petals floats up around her. (sighs) Stop it. Uh. No. No. (laughs) When Jane finally gets out of bed a couple of days later, she's feeling much better. She finds Ruth in her father's study throwing things away, so she offers to help. Ruth takes a pee break while Jane goes through the drawers in the desk. In one, she finds a card written to her grandfather. But Jane never knew him, so there's no way she would have made him a card. She asks Ruth about it and Ruth says that because she didn't know her grandfather growing up and all her friends her grandpas, she asked her father if he could be her grandfather too. Okay. Weird. Weird. Weirdo. (laughs) Was that another text from Sal? Okay. Weirdo. (laughs) Jane asks if the storage room, that is not really a storage room since there are no boxes, a bed and a dollhouse in there after this, and become, and Ruth becomes incensed. She says that that room was her playroom, and then it was a storage room, and she doesn't know why her mother got rid of all the boxes and added a bed. Maybe she was fucking obsessed with beds. It's a very odd thing to get so angry about, but then Ruth changes the subject to dinner, makes Jane leave the room, and locks the door. Why is Ruth so angry? Is it grief over the loss of her husband and her parents? It must be. Whatever it is, Jane suddenly knows something bad happened in this house. She goes to her room, stressed out over her mother's rage and grief of missing her father, and pulls out the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, tears out a page, and begins to eat. She hears the house creaking around her, but then Ruth steps into her bedroom and witnesses the book eating. Oh, no. She gets upset, takes the book, and begins to cry. She sits down on the bed, a puff of rose petals flushing up around her, and sobs, then abruptly leaves the room, taking Jane's book with her. Mm. Jane gets angry, begins to cry too, curls up in a ball, and falls asleep. Look it. This is terrible. It is terrible. That's her only source of comfort. Yeah. As weird as it is, Mm. it's not okay. Yeah. But also, man, they get angry a lot. They really do. They they do need some of the management classes. When Jane wakes, she sees that her mother hasn't come out of her room, so she goes downstairs and plans to sneak into the study. The locked door unlocks and opens as she approaches it, so she goes inside. She looks through a locked drawer and finds lots of school files and report cards of Ruth's. 
They start out cute and normal, but as the years pass, Ruth seems to get upset and angry. One of the teachers suggests that she see a psychiatrist, but then there's a letter from Ruth's dad, Chester, to a doctor informing him that they'd have to have secret appointments because Amelia, Ruth's mother, wouldn't approve. After this comes notices of fights and detentions and suspensions from school. And then an ultrasound. (gasps) Why would Jane's ultrasound be in the drawer with all this stuff from her mom's time in high school? Pointed look. Mm -hmm. Jane leaves the study after this and goes up to the storage room, which is also unlocked. She explores the drawers and closet and finds them full of fancy, frilly little girl clothes and a teddy bear and other things for a girl no older than eight or ten. But why? Jean sits down at the vanity in the room and opens those drawers as well. In one, she finds a Polaroid of a little girl in a lacy pink dress standing in front of North Manor. It's Jane. But she had never been there before, moving, just a few weeks ago. She studies the photo more and sees, no, no, that's not a picture of her. It must be someone else. It is. Her name is Jemima Rose. Jane looks into the hand mirror after this and sees the words sister and hi appear in the fog of her own breath. Did her mother have a sister? She's really not putting the clues together here. It's really, really hard. After thinking for a little bit about why on earth anyone would keep a girl's bedroom exactly as it was when she was eight, Jane realizes that that awful thing that happened in the house that she knew happened earlier is that Jemima Rose, her mother's sister, died. But is she a ghost? She can't even think that word. Don't, don't think ghost. Don't say it. She leaves the room after this and encounters Ruth in the hallway. Jane confronts her mother about Jemima. How could Ruth not tell Jane that she had an aunt who died when Ruth still lived in this house? Is that the reason why she never wanted to come back here? Because she misses her sister? Ruth says that there was an accident that she doesn't want to talk about, and Jemima was never Jane's aunt. She was just a little girl who died, and now Jane needs to let her rest. So close there, Ruth. You were so close. The next day at school, something strange happens. Melanie comes up to Jane and threatens her to try to get her to leave the manor and the town. Jane has no idea what's happening, but Melanie says, Don't act like you don't know. Know what? Melanie says her family is dropping like flies. Sounds very menacing, and then in what feels like an out of body experience, Jane punches Melanie in the face. Yes. Susie rushes in and separates them and takes Jane to the bathroom to cool down. Why would Melanie say all those things? It doesn't make sense. Also, you can't just get up and leave somewhere, you dumbass. Mm. So. Why don't you just move out of the house by yourself at, you know, 16 or however old you are? Just move out. Get out. I know you had to move there because of financial troubles, but you need to get out. Yeah, it makes total sense. Get out. After school at Beans and Books, Will and Jane decorate for Halloween. 
They also talk about the Poirot book that Will hasn't finished yet, Mrs. McGinty's Dead. He asks Jane for a clue, and Jane says that the mystery is a secret des Polichnelles, a secret that everyone in town knows, so they never talk about it, and they assume that Poirot knows about it too, but he doesn't. (laughs) He says how much he likes the book, and then reaches out with a sad look in his eyes, like he has something serious to say, but a customer comes in, so he never gets to. A few days later, Jane goes with Susie and Alana to get stuff for the Rapunzel Halloween costume, and then the day arrives. Susie has plans to pick Jane up at eight that night for the school dance. After school, Ruth isn't home, so Jane wanders around, thinking about Jemima. She goes into the yard and stares at all the roses that keep blooming, even though it's almost November and there have been several freezes. There's no way they should still be growing. Jane texts a picture of the roses to Sal, who says she doesn't know anything about roses and that there must be something keeping them alive. Yeah. Or someone. Yikes. Ruth gets home and gets ready for her own Halloween party with co-workers. Jane helps her put on makeup like a scarecrow and remembers when Greer used to help her get ready for Halloween when she was a kid. Ruth never liked Halloween much. And then Jane realizes why and asks Ruth about it. Halloween is when Jemima died. Ruth says, yes, that's true, and that's why she doesn't like it, then pauses like she's going to say something, but then changes the subject and dismisses Jane so she can continue getting ready and leave for her party. (sighs) Susie and Alana get there early, dressed like a vampire bride and a sexy cat. And then Jane puts on her Rapunzel costume. Alana shares some alcohol she swiped from her parents' liquor cabinet, and they head to the dance. The dance is a lot of fun, especially since Alana keeps pulling tiny liquor bottles from her bra. (laughs) The girls dance and have a great time, and Jane pulls out her phone to text her mom that she's enjoying herself. But then she sees a text from Will that says he just finished the book and has to ask, Does she not know? Know what? He says never mind, but she won't let it go. The girls go to the bathroom after and Jane's head starts buzzing and she's freaking out. It's a secret deeper Chanel. She tells Susie and Alana why she's upset and they finally tell her the secret. Finally! Finally! <sighs> In Hawaii, she... <laughs> Good one. <laughs> Jemima Rose fell into a hole in the backyard of North Manor on Halloween while playing hide-and-seek with a friend. They were planting rose bushes and they weren't supposed to be in the yard, but they were, and she fell in a hole and got buried alive. Ruth left town for California just after the funeral. But wait, that doesn't make sense. Ruth was a kid when her sister died. Oh no, Jane. Jemima wasn't Ruth's sister. She was yours. Nope. Nope. (laughs) Nope. Jane freaks out even more. Everyone in town knows that she had a sister. Susie, Alana, Will, Melanie, Ruth, her teachers, even Greer knew. Her own father didn't tell her. But Jemima wasn't Greer's daughter, so maybe he didn't feel right about telling her. Still, 
Literally everyone in town knows. Everyone, except her. She asks Susie to take her home. They talk on the way about how Ruth should definitely have told Jane about having a sister and how awful everything is. When she gets home, she plans to go to bed immediately. (laughs) That doesn't happen. Ruth is coming down the stairs when Jane walks in the door and says she got a text that Jane sent. It's another message that she doesn't remember writing about how much she hates Ruth and how Ruth only ever wanted her. And now she can't have either of them. Um, Jane definitely didn't send that, but now it's out in the open. Ruth asks who told her about Jemima, but that doesn't matter. Jane says she should have told her she had a sister. Ruth says she tried, but she should have tried harder. She did not try. She did not even try even one little bit. No. It's like maybe she kind of halfway thought about trying and then she was like, no, let's talk about dinner instead. It's like, you know when when the remote control is across the the other side of the sofa and you can't be bothered to move and you just go, Uh, it's that limp-wristed kind of effort. uh, That's Ruth. Yeah. Limp-wristed effort. Ruth finally tells Jane what happened when she was a teenager. She says Amelia didn't care anything for her and actually wished she was a boy to carry on the family name. Ruth got in trouble all the time. And then she got pregnant. She had plans to give up the baby, but Amelia took her and named her and raised her as her own. Oh, it's just creepiness. When Jemima was old enough, she knew that Ruth was her mother, but their relationship was strained. Ruth, who used to be so angry all the time, thought that her hatred and resentment all went into Jemima when she was born and that there was something wrong with her. But then she died in the Rose Trench and Ruth left and everything was better after that. She mourned her daughter, but she had to get away. Then she met Greer, and they had Jane, and really, everything was better. Was it, though? Was it? Jane asks how exactly Jemima died, so Ruth tells the story of how she was playing in the yard with the housekeeper's daughter, Annie Kanzler. Fell into a hall and couldn't get out. The name of the friend rings a bell with Jane, and then she puts everything together. Kanzler is Alana's last name, and therefore Melanie's last name. Melanie's sister, who had an accident as a child, hasn't been right since. Must be Annie. That's why Melanie hates her so much. And then it gets worse, because of course it does. (laughs) Jane realises that all those messages and calls that everyone thinks are weird weren't made by her. Oh no, they were made by the ghost of Jemima. No. Yikes. Yikes. The ghost knows how to use a smartphone. Smart ghost. Smart ghost. Even though she should be terrified because ghost, Jane is no longer afraid. Ruth goes to bed and Jane goes to Jemima's room where she sees her sister appear. They talk quietly, Jane afraid that Ruth will hear them and come in, but Jemima assures her that she won't wake up. Then 
She says that someone is coming and asks if Jane wants to have a little fun. That's when Jane hears a crash downstairs and Melanie's voice. She and her boyfriend Jeff have broken into North Manor. Jane hides in the closet and listens to Melanie explain to her boyfriend that they had to break in tonight since Jane is at the dance and Ruth is at a party to look for something. They start in Jane's room. Melanie is so dumb. Dude, Melanie, just use your words. Stop it. Jane stays in Jemima's closet, sure that Melanie is going to leave soon and that everything will be fine. <laughs> but then she hears Jemima in her head telling her it won't be fine. They have a silent conversation about Jane finally being able to see her and how Ruth used to have long hair like they did until she ate it and had to have it removed from her stomach. Just going to take a moment to let that freakiness sink in. Jemima says that she knows that Jane likes to eat book pages and that she knows what it's like to love things so much you have to eat them. She liked to eat roses when she got angry because they helped her and Jane does the same thing. Jemima tells Jane that Melanie is in her room, touching her special books, taking them. Then she gets a truly evil smile on her face and disappears. Yes. <laughs> I love a vengeful ghost. There's a loud thump and moaning sounds, which startle Melanie's boyfriend so much that he wants to leave. But Melanie shouts that they have to find it. Jeff doesn't think that they'll be able to find whatever it is after 20 years, so he leaves. Jane thinks all this is hilarious, and then all her fear drains away and turns into anger at Melanie for being inside her house. Jane steps out into the hallway as Jemima flickers the lights and Melanie screams. Jane asks why Melanie is in her house, and she finally says that she's looking for something that belonged to her sister. Then she asks if Jane knows what actually happened to their sisters. Story number three. <sighs> Melanie tells a story that ends with Jemima falling into the hole in the yard, but starts very differently. She says that her mother would sometimes bring Annie over to play while she cleaned up the manor, and it seemed like Annie and Jemima were friends. But actually, Jemima was a very mean girl to Annie. She picked on her. She cut her hair. She pushed her around. She killed kittens. She broke her arm. She tried to push her into the hole. She tried to kill her. Jemima says Melanie is lying that she would never hurt anyone. She was just having a little fun. But then Annie pushed her in and didn't try to help her out. Jane says this to Melanie and she doesn't deny it. But then she says that her sister was being tormented since then by Jemima's ghost. And then she finally broke down and ended her own life. All Melanie wants to do now is to get her sister's teddy bear that she left in the yard all those years ago and get out. Jane says that all this is fucking pointless because both of their sisters are dead. But then Jemima chimes in that she's having fun. Yes. Melanie tries to leave, but the doorknob won't turn. 
I'm in the right square. (laughs) (laughs) When the lights come back on, Melanie and Jemima are gone. Jane feels her phone vibrate and realizes that she has a bunch of missed texts and calls from Will and Susie and Alana and Sal. Will's last text says that he's coming over to talk, and then she sees his truck pull into the drive. She stops him from coming in and says everything's okay, and she'll call him tomorrow. He offers to take her out to the diner or to take her anywhere to get her out of the house, but again, she says everything's okay, and she'll call him tomorrow. As he leaves, she thinks about losing Greer and losing her friendship with Sal, and then she thinks about how similar she and Ruth and Jemima are. Just three little girls who like to eat things they shouldn't to fill them up with something other than unstoppable rage. Mm. Jemima reappears then, and they talk about how mean Melanie is and how Annie was mean too. Annie laughed at Jemima's dresses and hair, and she didn't like that. Jean asks where Melanie is then, and Jemima says that she went for a walk by the rose bushes. Jean runs outside when she hears a cry for help, but Jemima tells her she should go back inside. Then she falls and hits her head. She tries to get up, but her body is so heavy. Jemima tells her she should just go back inside, but she can't. She staggers up when she hears another cry and manages to get over to a hall by the roses and sees Melanie in it. Then the dirt swallows her up. The only thing left out is her hand, and then it sinks down into the ground too. Jane tells Jemima that she can't let Melanie die, and she should go get Ruth, but Jemima says that they let her die, and what's happening now is only fair. She says Melanie was so mean to Jane. She stole her journal, the last one she had ever written in about Greer. Jane struggles, but then just stands by the rose bushes as Melanie sinks. She thinks that Jemima is right. This is finally fair. Nothing has been fair since Greer died, since they had to move into this house. But now, this is fair. As the dirt swallows Melanie, Jane puts a rose petal into her mouth and swallows it, too. Right, well, I think we need to take a break so I can go and have a snack. Yes, yes, I need to have a snack, too. I don't have any books in here with me, but I'm going to go have a bite of rose. Mm. Or maybe some hair? Yeah, you could go for hair. You've got plenty of it. I want to tuck into uh, some Pride and Prejudice. Got so much hair in my mouth now. Gross. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Listen to this. Listen to this. Well, I get hair out of my mouth. These days, more authors are including mental health content in their books. But do you ever wonder how accurate some of this stuff is? Or do you ever read something where you know the author just gets it? I'm Elise. And I'm Priscilla. And we are Novel Feelings, a podcast where we discuss mental health issues in fiction novels. We are psychologists and book lovers, and we have a lot of opinions. So look for Novel Feelings wherever you get your podcasts. Now, back to your show. I have two words about this book. Fucking yikes. Holy shit. Ooh, holy shit. That's a good one too. (laughs) 
Fucking yikes and holy shit. Pick one. The two words a sentence. Jeez. Fucking shit? Holy yikes? Holy yikes. I'm pretty sure I've said holy yikes before in another episode. Quite probably. But yeah, I'm sticking with holy shikes. Shikes? (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Holy yikes. Holy yikes. I love it. Times a thousand. I love it. Yeah. I listened to this at work. Oh, good. A couple of weeks ago. And the last bit, so coming home from the Halloween party, I think I just like sat there with my fingers frozen over the keyboard and just like staring at the screen, but not really seeing it and going, what? No. Ah. <laughs> For the entire length of the time. And then going, oh no, you should be doing some work. And then trying to, and then going, but also yeah 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 it got super creepy it was just creepy from the outset i mean you mentioned me and i mean come on that's a creepy state yeah isn't me in the creepiest of all states i'm pretty sure i'm pretty sure and stephen king has something to do with it he has to bear a lot of responsibility he really does but yeah yeah. Creepy AF. Yeah. Holy yikes. Holy yikes. But I loved it so much. Yeah. I love that it didn't have chapters. I thought that was super interesting, super cool, that it was just broken down into parts of the nursery rhyme like we talked about at the beginning. Yes. And then each little segment, like, kind of made sense with the story. And then at the end, Melanie actually says she was horrid. And that's the last that's the last segment of the book. The horrid. She was horrid. Liked it. I love it when the book title is like just slotted into the, the yeah. text. Yeah. Nice and neatly. Yeah, I like that too. Yeah. So good. Can we get the discussion about how Another YA parent is terrible out of the way. Yes. Yes, we can. But it's a shame because Ruth, she's pretty good in all other ways, except for the fact that she's hiding this terrible, terrible secret from her daughter. Yes. But she's pretty good for the for the most part, except for that, which ends up being terrible. And then also, I'm pretty sure she's fucking dead at the end. And if she's not dead, you can't tell me otherwise. I will not believe you that that mother is still alive. I'm convinced that her mother is dead and Jane is possessed by Jemima. Yes. Yes. That's, that is my headcanon. Yes, I now, agree. You're saying Ruth was a good parent in the most part, apart from the secret. I question that because there's an obvious strong um, relationship that Jane has with Greer, with her father. Yeah. And there's just these little things every now that's every now and again that's mentioned, and I actually wonder how much distance Ruth put in her relationship with Jane, potentially based on having Jemima at such a a young age and that traumatic death. Yeah. That Jane, yes, was a blessing and she was happy to have Jane, but she still kept her at arm's length. 
the little it's just little comments um you know when the text message off her dad the final one is outside Mm -hmm. so it was her father who was doing the pickups yeah from you know picking up from the mall or a friend's house or whatever the halloween um costumes and getting ready it was the father who did and i can understand near halloween the mum not wanting to be an active participant because there's that you know, twenty years of memory that yeah, of Jemima's passing on Halloween. So I can understand her not particularly wanting to celebrate around that time, but still, I think, I think, I think Ruth was not an active participant in Jane's life. Now that we're talking about it a little bit more, I feel like Ruth wasn't really a mother to Jane. She was more like a friend to Jane. She wanted to be that, yeah. I, this, 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 to me, like you know, when they talked about the road trip mm-hmm. across America to Maine, and you know the things that they got up to, it seemed like that was Ruth trying to make a connection, but failing completely because she didn't tell her about Jemima. The one salient thing, yeah, um. I will say I'll give a, a bit of forgiveness to Ruth because she is going through a traumatic loss as well. She's lost her husband to a heart attack very suddenly. There's financial issues that, you know, I can't even imagine how hard the hardship. Um, and she's just going to have a certain amount of withdrawal yeah. from everything. Um, so she's going through a lot of grief and mourning and she will probably need to, she needs to speak to a counsellor really to, 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 to talk this through. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's not the healthcare that she's actually accessing. So I've got a lot of forgiveness for Ruth, but, and she's also returning to the place of her childhood, which I don't think she had a happy childhood anyway. No. Um, and then obviously the place where her daughter died, traumatic, it's going to be difficult. So she's going through some serious stuff. So I can understand why she might be withdrawn. But the impression I get is Ruth has always been withdrawn. She has never been an active participant in Jane's life. And like you say, she's trying to make up for it now. Um, So I don't know how much of a relationship that they have. And if it was actually Ruth had passed and Grey had survived, I think it would be completely different. My main... I don't I don't think Jane would be pining for a mum. No, I don't think that she would. My main question here with this is, like, I know that the house, the manor needed lots of cleaning up and lots of work done to it, and that they didn't have the money to do that, but I definitely would have figured out a way to sell the house. I would get out of L.A., because L.A. is fucking expensive. Get yeah. out of L.A., move to a smaller town. You know, still in California, sure, if that's where you want to live, but move somewhere small that you can afford. Figure out a way to sell the manor from across the country, because it can be done. Do that. Have your money. Make a new life. That's. I mean, you talk about going to estate sales. Yeah. So, you know, and we've all seen Sleepless in Seattle. Not Sleepless in Seattle. Um, the other Sandra Bullock movie. Um, while you were sleeping, and they sell estates. Yeah. In that movie, 
Yeah, it can be done. So you make a phone, exactly, you make a phone call and you say, this house is legally mine, as is the contents, sell, sell, sell. Yes, sell all of this. Sell the freaking piano. Yeah, that bothered me too when they were walking through and she's like, oh wow, this is really cool. Yeah, it's a 1925 Steinway or whatever it is and it could pay for your college. So fucking sell it, first thing. Why hasn't it been sold? Why is the chandelier, you know? There'll be some rich person who would have the entire uh, manor off your hands. Just to t- stick Dean King's name to it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You could sell <sighs> any of that stuff. And clearly, and like, it doesn't mean anything to Ruth. No. Because she wanted to get the fuck away from the house. So she doesn't care about anything inside of it. And it doesn't mean anything to Jane, because Jane's never been there. So... It feels like it's been laziness on Ruth's part not to get rid of the stuff. Or just to do it first thing. I mean, I know that that's, you know, the whole plot of the book is that they have to go there. And they have to live in the creep house and they have to do all of this stuff. But realistically, okay. yeah, sell the house, sell the piano, sell the chandelier, sell the lamps, sell the bedroom sets. Sell the creepy dollhouse. Sell the dollhouse. Sell the roses. Oh my gosh, yes. And get out. Honestly, yeah. And but that could that could have been done after Amelia died. Yeah. Could have. Yeah. Should have. But then we we wouldn't have had the book. Mm-mm. And we so need the book to eat it. We have exactly. We have problems with Ruth. We have many problems with Ruth. Element yes. of forgiveness over tra- traumas, but we have problems with Ruth. Yes, we do. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the whole book was about dealing with grief. And there were some really good quotes about grief throughout the text. And it was it was very good. Yeah. Yeah. Was there anything else that was there anything that you liked now that we've gotten you know now that we've sold that, Ruth? That was that was a main issue for me, just the Ruth character. I mean, you know, we've come from, we've, it's 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 this ongoing one of these ongoing themes we're coming across now is you know everybody knows we like communication and when we get communication we celebrate it, but then on the odd occasion most YA what most parents in YA books are terrible, terrible people. Yeah. Well, because, you know, the teen is supposed to be the central character and they're supposed to be figuring out all the problems on their own without the assistance from their parents. So But it's nice to just know that they're even loved. Yeah. And trusted or respected or something. Yeah. It's it's starting to get frustrating having so many terrible parents. Do we need to go back <laughs> and, and like read Moxie again? Yeah. <laughs> and get the raging feminism flowing, you know. Yes. Something like that. Yeah. Um, Jemima. Wow. I love Jemima. What a wicked, horrid little child. I love her. I freaking loved her. Yep. Love her. Love everything about her. She's fantastic. She, she didn't have the mentality of a eight to ten year old child as a ghost it was like she was older yeah yeah i felt that i i I felt like she was you know she had aged she still appeared probably most of the time as a little girl 
But then there were a couple of times where she was in the window upstairs, you know, pressing her hand against it, and Jane thought it was Ruth up there, so. But she's a ghost. She can do whatever the fuck she wants. (laughs) Yeah, you can tell her to stop doing what she's doing. Yeah. She'll push you in a hole. (laughs) Fuck off. And she like I want to know how she, many people she's put in that hole. So because many. Because those roses are extremely well fertilized. Yeah, they really are. She's three hundred kicks people into the holes. <laughs> Trick or treat hole. Yep. Pizza delivery hole. Hole. Yes. Avon calling hole. hole. <laughs> oh. Do not accept solicitation hole. Putting thy enemies, putting thy cold callers into halls. Yes. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I really liked about this book? Apart from everything? Apart from everything, I really like the references to Agatha Christie and Poirot, since we love Poirot, because we love Stevie Bell, and Stevie Bell loves Hercule Poirot. Yes. But do you know yes. what I didn't like about that in the audiobook? She pronounces his name Hercule. Hercule Poirot. Oh, Hercule. Hercule. And it, it made me cringe. And I thought when I was listening to it, because I listened to it a while ago. Yeah. Not podcast related. And then I loved it so much. And we were like, hey, we got to do this on the podcast. But when I listened to it the first time and I heard Hercule, I thought, oh, God, Claire's going to cringe. Claire's going to hate this. <laughs> I have issues with the pronunciation, yes. Thankfully, it wasn't a massive amount. No, it just happened a few times. It wasn't that much. Yeah, yeah. But it's one of these names where I'm thinking, you Everyone knows Hercule Poirot. Everyone. Yeah, I mean, it was freaking Kenneth Branagh. And that movie came out before this book came out. Well, it's not even Kenneth Branagh. I mean, Hercule Poirot has been done so much by so many people. David Suchet is Poirot, in my opinion. I'm sorry, Kenneth Branagh. You know, your tash was spectacular, but it's David Suchet. But that might be more of a British thing than anything else. And I'm only saying Kenneth Branagh because those movies are current. Exactly, it's international, that's fine. Um, but yeah, yeah. And if you dare say that Proro is French, I will kick you in the teeth. Not really, because I can't kick at the moment. No, and what but you'll do is you'll kick the person into the hole. I'll, you, you're going in the hole. Get in the hole. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, I did enjoy all of the Proro references. Yes. I was like, yay, get bucks. Especially, especially the, how much they were, you know, they were reading all of the Agatha Christie books and she had this collection of different covers and like, it just sounds like something that we would do. It was completely relatable. Yeah. And then when they read the, or when Will reads the book with the secret, with the French word that we both, I'm sure, butchered a thousand times. And then he's like, do you not know? This is exactly what is happening right now. You don't know. And she's like, I don't know what. What are you talking about? And then she's like, oh, fuck. It's the secret. It's the secret that everyone knows. And so you just assume that everyone knows. But I don't know. Never assume everyone knows the secret. 
It's terrible. But also, like, how could she not know this secret? It is completely reasonable for everyone to think that she knows this secret because it's her mom. It's her mom who had a baby who died. But then, to play a devil's advocate, I can understand the mum not wanting to tell her because it's, it would be her half-sister with father unknown. And also she loves Greer so much, so that would she be She loves painful. Greer so much, exactly. I mean, it wasn't Greer's secret to tell. No. I get that. Yeah. But that you can understand her disconnection to say that was 16-year-old me who had a child back at the other half of the other side of the country it's got no impact on my life now. So I can understand having that line, that drawing, that and having that separation. So I can actually understand why Ruth perhaps didn't want to tell her, but she should have told her she when they're going her. back. Yeah. And said, listen, I need to tell you, I know you're going through a lot, but you have a sister, she died, this is what the situation is, and everybody in the town knows about everybody it so maybe something that comes up but you it. know what pissed me off the most is melanie being horrible to jane for absolutely no reason yeah why are you bullying her because of something her sister did she's not guilty by association no that's she not wasn't alive when this happened no you weren't alive when this happened you're holding a grudge that you have developed later in life based on a situation that you've had third party information about yeah it's not good it's just horrible and you know you kind of think not that being buried alive is you know uh, uh, the correct form of punishment or is in any way you know equivalent to the transgressions (laughs) but You've been breaking the window. You've literally broken into the house. You're stealing from the house to try and get the teddy bear of your dead sister that was from 20 years ago and you're 16. Just say that. Knock on the door and go, hello. Nobody's lived here for many years. My sister used to play here. She left a teddy bear 20 years ago. You don't happen to have it somewhere in storage, like in the attic or something that's been lying around. Yeah, my sister's very ill. It would probably make her happy to have this teddy bear from her childhood. Do you mind if I look for it? Yeah, that's perfectly reasonable. And they're not making demands to tell a 16-year-old to move out of the creepy house that they'll have to move into because they've got no other options. Yeah, Melanie was the worst. Melanie is stupid. Yeah, Melanie belongs in the hole. And hey, yeah, that's I, where she is. Well, yeah, I, I, can't, I can't, I struggle to get any sympathy for her. I really struggle with the Melanie character. No, especially, sympathy. especially when Jane reaches out. Melanie's already been a bully. Melanie's already been terrible to her. But she reaches out and says, hey, I know what you're going through. I'm really, really sorry. My dad just died. Can't, like... I'm here. Can I help? And she's like, no, get the fuck away. Get the fuck out of that house. Like, what do you want me to do? Exactly. Hole. And the thing is, though, I mean, even if Jane knew about Jemima, she's not going to have gone through that mourning period for Jemima because she wasn't even alive. Right. Right. Jemima died before any of this even happened. Like, stop it. 
Yeah. Jane has nothing do you, to do with it. Do you think if Ruth in any way, shape or form showed any sort of kind of like sadness about Jemima's passing and that she in some way held Jemima still in her heart or in her memory or, you know, some in some way acknowledged her existence, none of this would have happened because Jemima was jealous of Jane. Maybe that would have happened. But also, I mean, she was 16. She wanted to give the baby away, which good good on you for making that choice. You're not ready for this. Give the baby away. But then the mom takes it. like, And then she thinks, okay, well, I've had the baby. They've taken the baby away. Oh, and now you're bringing the baby back. And now the baby is suckling what is happening this is not supposed to be happening why is this happening and you're like oh here's jemima rose she's not your baby anymore she belongs to your mother and then to be be fair that kind of not that exact thing but you know young girls would fall pregnant and they would go away and visit with family members and then come back and there would be a new sister. Yes, yes, that's true. You know, that true. happens so much. Yeah, that was that's co- That's commonplace. Yeah. That's history. But but also, at the same time, now this baby is here, and okay, it's fine. This is, this is my daughter, but also kind of my sister, because my mother is crazy, and she's taking care of this child. But then she thought that she was, like, you know, took all of her rage and stuff, and she was a tiny little possessed thing and she like kept looking over her shoulder and smiling at her creepily like yeah all of the women in that family need rage therapy don't they do they do it it does make you wonder well is it nature nurture debate time but yeah i mean because the mom was terrible amelia was terrible to ruth and then ruth was pretty damaged It's never mentioned how Ruth might have been a rage machine back in LA with Jane. It's never mentioned. No, no. A lot about the the growing up. No, no, no. She says that after she had Jemima, the rage was gone. So how does Jane get the rage? It just passes on to her. So it is in the bloodlines. Now she just needs to have a rage baby to put all of her rage into where's will get will involved will's a hunky stud and he kind of like it's clear that maybe you've got a thing for each other so have a rage baby and then put it in the hole no don't do any of that stop it stop talking amanda don't put the baby in the hole no juicy we want juice oh yeah juicy needs to happen you're right you're right juicy does need to happen I am kind of glad that things didn't take off with Will in this book. In the book, yeah, there was no forced romance. Yeah, it was kind of there in the background because they have similar interests, and it's kind of cute. And he's like, "Hey, I will take you out if you want to go and get a pancake." That didn't seem like a date to me. That seemed like a friend. No, it's a friend. It's a a very good. Yeah, it's a very good friend thing, which could have you know, eventually become something else. 
Yeah. And no, I think... You can have a flirty friendship with someone. Right, definitely you can. You don't have to be in a relationship with anyone. But we do know exactly. that It's Jane... clearly defined... Everybody is friend-zoned. It is a clearly defined... But you are still a flirty friendship. Yes. And Jane did think that Will was very cute. She did mention that. So... It's possible. Yeah. I don't know why. And I have no indication. I could not tell you what bit. But I thought Will was gay. No, I didn't think that. My my gay doll went off with him. And there was absolutely nothing in the book to indicate that. It's just a bleeped. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't I didn't think that. I don't think I ever no. thought that once. No. How, for me, disgusting does a lavender latte or rose latte sound? Ugh. I just know. I don't want okay. lavender anyway, which we've had this discussion before when we talk about PC Cast and the House of Night stuff. Yes. Allergic to lavender. Do not want to ingest it, especially not in a latte. But a rose one? Ooh. No. I've seen enough episodes of Bake Off when they use rose and lavender and they put too much in and it's just disgusting. Mm. I I don't I, know. Flower stuff doesn't... No. I'll st- Sorry, Will. I know you think it's boring to do another vanilla latte, but I'll take a vanilla latte. Thank you very much. Give me some chai. I'll take some chai. Yeah, I, I really need to try oat milk lattes. I'm far too intrigued to have... I've never had an oat milk latte. I might have one tomorrow when I go to the cinema. Could you get time of recording. a macadamia nut latte? Don't know. I feel like that needs to be a thing. Because Greer really liked macadamia milk. I think it needs I'm to sure be. I've seen macadamia as an option at certain cafes, but We need to go there and try it. Yeah. You need to um, find it. There's a wonderful one in Newcastle called Olive and Bean. And they do really nice food as well. Like big cakes and huge scones. And their soup is just delicious. And fresh bread. It's a proper bakery mm. and coffee shop. They might. Because they make their own coffee and tea beans. And the coffee and tea. You need to go there. Yes. I am not upset by that. No, go there and report back to <laughs> I will perform this research selflessly. Good. Very good. Who <laughs> <laughs> uh, was your favourite character? Mm. I mean, Jemima. But also I really like Susie and Will. Especially when Susie starts singing single ladies while Alana's peeing at the Halloween dance. That with her one of the vampire things. fangs in. I feel like it was terrible and I love it. Hold on. Are you putting your teeth in? Is that right, Fred? All the single ladies, all the single ladies, all the single ladies, all the single ladies. You're only lisping oh, oh, a little bit. Oh, oh, it's oh, fine. Oh, oh, oh. That was good. Thank you <laughs> for that. There you go. Thank you for that. You're very welcome. You're very, very welcome. <laughs> I, I did like Susie and I did like Will. Jemima, go. 
You, you, sometimes I feel weird to say the villain's a favourite character. Never. It's just awful. I never feel weird to say the villain is my favourite character. It's meant to be. I love a vengeful ghost. Yeah. I don't know she's vengeful of. But I'm going to say Beans and Books are my favourite character. (laughs) (laughs) I guess that counts. I guess I would live there quite happily every day. Yeah. And get a coffee, have a look at the books. Yeah. Just move in with your sleeping bag. Yes. That's all you need. That's all you need to do. Although, you know, I would really like to have a sleeping, I mean, not a sleeping, a sleeping bag. I would love to have a sleeping bag in a haunted house. I would love to have a sleepover in a haunted house. I think that would be really fun. I don't really, know what the night is. Yeah. And haunted castles and stuff. Yeah, but haunted castles and haunted hotels and things like that, that's different. Because, like, you're meant to go there. You're meant to stay. You're meant to try to do ghost hunting stuff. But this... It's just your two friends coming over, eating pizza, listening to the piano play by itself. Yeah. I want to do it. I stayed in a hotel in York that we kept joking, saying it was haunted. It was haunted. And it was the weirdest setup. Like, the room was on one side of the the, the, the hotel and the bathroom was on the other but the corridor was so narrow to get to it from room to room, like to get from the bedroom through. We kept joking that was the priest hall corridor because it was so narrow <laughs> and constricted to get into and, and that the, the bathroom was the priest hall because there was no, that was the only way to get to it was bedroom, tiny little hall, corridor through. And we kept hearing weird noises and creaks. But I mean, if it, it's York, it is an old, old city. And this hotel was right next to York Minster. So, you know, it's hundreds of years old. And then very recently, I was watching one of those haunted programs that you know I love. Yes, of course. And the freaking hotel that we stayed at was on it. And I was like, holy moly, it is haunted. It was probably creepy things that we could hear running around and tapping and stuff. I love it. So, yeah. I love it. Um, were there any surprises for you? How long the secret of Jemima was kept? Mainly by Ruth, because I don't agree that Ruth kept it secret, but that nobody, nobody even let slip even the slightest. And it took Jane so long, bless her heart to realize anything yeah that that was that was my surprise it just it took her so long to realize that something was off so long it that was a good surprise wasn't frustrating though no you know how some sometimes you just like you know the main character's being a bit dense. Yeah. But I didn't feel like Jane was being dense. No. I just thought everybody is being purposefully deceitful or, in the case of our friends, unconsciously. Right, yeah. It's because it's that secret... De secret de... The Poirot secret. The Poirot secret. It was the Poirot secret that was, you know running everything here and that's reasonable because seriously why wouldn't 
you know about it. And then if you think about it, you assume that everyone knows and that Jane knows and that everybody knows. So, yeah, you don't want to bring that up. You don't want to talk about your dead sister. That's awkward as fuck. So it makes sense. But it's terrible at the same time. Which is why I Police love it. officer didn't have to say how much Jane looked like her, though. That was unnecessary. <sighs> yeah, like and the creepy Stop old it. doctor. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Just let people have pancakes in peace. Yeah, the creepy old man Damn being creepy. Mm, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what would you have on your pancakes? I'm a peanut butter and honey girl. Oh, Sliced banana, strawberries, and blueberries. Mm. A little bit of syrup. That also sounds very good. I like lots of fruit on top of my pancakes. Yeah. Yeah, I'd probably mm. like that too. I like pancakes. Pretty much anyway. Mm. I do make a mean banana pancake. I've made a mean banana pancake too. I gave mm. it angry eyebrows and everything. <laughs> <laughs> and the eyebrows will have been on point. Yeah, they would have. <laughs> oh, man. Is it time? I just want to say one thing before it is time, because it's definitely time. But I want to say that I really, really liked everything about this book, especially the terrible open-endedness of it. Yes. One of my favorite things, we had this discussion during All These Bodies, back with Kendara Blake. I love a terrible open-ended book. Love it. Like, oh yeah, shit, everyone's murdered. And now you're possessed by a ghost. At least that's our ending. It's gotta be. I would like like to know what other people's endings are. I would like to know that as well. And I really, like, we were so close. We were so close to getting Katrina Leno to join us, but she's not comfortable doing that at this current time. So I understand it. I'm fine with it. But man, do I want to ask her a million questions. (laughs) (laughs) I will just DM her and see what she says. I know. I mean... Really, really. Just for our own curiosity. We're not going to share it. (laughs) We're not going to share it on the blog because that exists or talk about it for an inordinately long amount of time in our next episode or whatever. We never do stuff like that. No, we always stay on topic, on point all the time. Focus. Laser beam. Focus. Yeah. We said that (laughs) without laughing. (laughs) (laughs) now it's time now it's time now it's time now it's time we asked would you rather eat books or roses we really wanted to ask or with hair but you know social media's yeah 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 (laughs) on facebook 67% said books on Instagram, 60% said roses. On Twitter, 75% said roses. And on TikTok, 73% said roses. So it's a bit of a split. Yeah. I'm surprised that as many people said books as they did say books. 
Even though only Facebook was the book winner, I'm just, I'm surprised. Because, mm. like, you can literally eat. You can eat roses, but you shouldn't eat books. You shouldn't do it. Don't do it. Comments. Lots and lots we of do. love. You comments. Bree on Facebook said roses or slugs or straws or sheet metal or anything but books. Books are friends, not food. Don't eat sheet metal, Jesus. <laughs> Colin on Facebook said books. Because then I can absorb their knowledge as I eat them and become the smartest man in the world. Fear not, I shall only use my powers for evil when it suits me best. Yeah, right. I'm into it. <laughs> Annie on Facebook said, Roses because they are actually edible. I know this because I have a book called Eat Your Roses, Pansies, and Lavender, and 49 Other Delicious Flowers. Coral on Facebook says, Roses, I feel like they're a lot more edible than paper. There's nothing worse than paper cuts on your tongue. Ugh. No, that's Ooh. awful. Yeah. When you lick an envelope and get a paper cut. <gasps> Rebecca Garner, author on Instagram, said, Roses, less work, baby. Why mm. mm. a book chat on Instagram just gave us a lovely bouquet of roses. Yes. Dragonheart9955 on Instagram said, Roses take off the thorns and you're good. Plus, books are too precious to eat. They're precious. Precious. They're precious. <laughs> Stuff Inc. Creations on Instagram said, Roses, definitely, because no paper cuts in your mouth. Oh, I wonder if Stuff Inc. Creations and Coral got together. <laughs> They're just very practical with it. They are. They do not like mouth paper cuts. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and we have some responses from Amanda's library. Yes, we do. Roses, unless I have to eat the stem. If I have to eat the stem, I pick book pages. Very practical. Book pages? That way I can get more smarter. <laughs> Roses, especially if I can drink them. Rose tea is delicious. Mm, smiley. Mm. And then finally, neither. Ew, David. Then I responded, there is no option C. You must choose. Fine. Book pages for the fiber. <laughs> Excellent. Love it. Love it. I love it too. So good. So, what are you doing? Mm. Fun fact, my uncle used to eat rubber oh yeah none of the my mum's dolls had fingers and even like the rubber plugs for sinks you would snap on those my sister used to chew on stuff like that like all of my barbie legs had teeth marks in them mm, similar thing yeah when i was pregnant i used to chew tissues that's right you did so you might as well just eat a book yeah, I'm going with book because mm, roses. Mm, I mean, we've already discussed. I'm not going to eat a rose latte. It's just right. sick and wrong. And no, I'm not keen on overly flowery things. So yeah, I'm going to go book, and hopefully the knowledge will seep into my brain, and I yeah. will become an all powerful. Yeah. Super villain person. Person. Yes. Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yes. Plus fiber. <laughs> <laughs> 
What are you doing? I think I'm going to go roses. I feel like I could break off a few petals and, like, put them in a salad. And I'm a fan of salads. So if I just, you know, pluck a few off, pluck a few petals off, have an evil smile on my face, 300 somebody into a hole, and then take a bite of my salad. I think that's what I'm going to (laughs) do. Sparta! Whew! Salad. Roses! (laughs) Yeah. Um, This reminds me, though... When I was, God, in the second grade, it's a thousand years ago, um, a friend of mine, his name is Joe Bass. Joe Bass, if you ever listen to this podcast, I will always remember this story. We were very good friends in the second grade. And there was another boy in our class named Casey who ate paper all the time. He just constantly ate paper. And I remember a time that Joe Bass and I we're talking about how you could always hear Casey running coming toward you because the paper in his belly was going <laughs> in the second grade. That's how mean I was in the second grade. It was a good time. I, I will always <laughs> enjoy that story. Especially because we would make the running motions and the sounds. <laughs> Oh, bless. Oh, memories. <laughs> memories. Okay. Next question. Mm. Oh, side note, I would not eat hair. I don't no. even have hair in my mouth. No. Uh, uh, uh. You know when you stuck, it's on your tongue and you can't get it off? And oh, I, you, like, you, you lick your sleeve to see if that helps with the friction. Oh, yeah. no, mm. no, yeah. no, no, no. And then you would have that problem that we had way back when in that one episode where we were talking to Constance about having tails, hair tails, and then it was hair in your butt. Do you remember that? Oh. That was like two years ago we had this conversation about butt hairs. And that would wow, probably happen all the time if you ate hair. Yeah. Imagine what's doing to your insides. Oh, I know. She had to have it surgically removed. Yeah, I've heard of that. Like, yeah. I remember there was a documentary years ago it was about weed things like that, and it showed you the hairball. Ugh. Don't eat hair. No, no, no. No, don't do it. Okay, next question. Mm. Would you rather your mom lie to you about her past or your friends lie to you about knowing about your mom's past? I would rather my mom lied than my friends. There's supposed to be trust in all of those relationships. However, if my mom is lying to me about it, she's lying to me for a good reason. Is she though? Potentially. At least I would like to think she's lying for a good reason. Plus, it's her past. And... (laughs) Does everybody know what everything that your parents did? Because a lie of omission is still a lie, but they don't need to tell you everything. Yeah. You know, parents do like to tell you how much of a rebel they were when they were a kid or, you know, what kind of shenanigans they may have gotten up to. But do they actually give you the full extent? Or if they did get into a lot of trouble, are they going to tell you that? Because then they you can use that as ammunition against them to say, well, you did this when you were younger, so why can't I also experience that? 
Yeah. So, and to be fair, parents lie all the time. Yeah. Santa, the Easter Bunny, the Tooth Fairy. <laughs> but I feel like no, I I know that it does. It didn't happen at the same time, so really, it doesn't have any effect on Jane at all. But it kind of does because you had a sister, and everybody knows about it. It does, and you know. But I think as well. I I don't know. I just think that if my mom wants to lie to me about her past, then okay. But I don't want my friends to lie to me about knowing about it. Because that's like a double secret. Yeah. It's it feels worse. Yeah. I... It feels like they're purposefully keeping it away from me, whereas my mum's got better intentions about it. And because it's her past, it's her reveal, it's her story, that's fine. If you don't want to tell somebody something about you. That's fine. You are allowed to protect yourself. Right. It may be a mental or physical or whatever psychological protection. That's fine. But for my friends to lie about it, it's like shit talking about you. Mm. And it's yeah. kind of, it doesn't feel okay. It feels worse. It feels like there should be that open honesty and that trust there. But that's just, mm, that's just me. That's just. Yeah. Do you think that Alana and Susie, or Susie and Will, or any combination of the three, ever sat down and just went, do you think she knows? No. Do you think she knows? Surely she knows. Possibly Alana and Susie. Not I, Susie and Will. I could see P- Susie even and Will, Susie... though, because they're siblings. But that, no, actually, even though they are siblings, I can't see it. Because Will sends her that message to say, you don't know. Yeah. So, and that's based on him reading the Prorow book. Yeah. He's he's put two and two together. So that's the only reason why I think Susie and Will have not had that conversation. Yeah. But I do think that Alana and Susie will have at some point, maybe not had that sit down, open conversation about, do you think Jane knows that she has a sister that was killed on Halloween 20 years ago, I don't think they'll have overtly said it, but it'll have been a, do you think she knows about her sister? Don't know. She should, shouldn't she? She will. She she will pro- yeah, fine. she probably does. She she, will. She's not going to talk about it. Yeah, of she course will. that's it. I think, I think Alana and Susie have had that. Yeah, probably. probably so, so what about you? Is your mum lying or are your friends lying? Oh, yeah. I mean, I agree with everything that you said. I don't, I don't want my friends lying to me. Mm-mm. I don't think I don't I don't want them to lie to me about it. It just it it seems worse. Mhm. And it happened a and, long time ago, you know. If it happens before you're born, it, it doesn't count. It's not your history. Yeah. Yeah. So I would be upset if my friends knew and didn't tell me. Okay. Next question. Would you rather hear a ghostly marble rolling around or a ghostly piano playing? Strictly for the tinkly sounds of, you know, like the high-pitched piano, which kind of leans in toward the tinkliness of wind chimes. And I'm getting the tinkles right now. It's happening. You can see the goosebumps have appeared oh, on my arm. Oh. Um, I'm going to go with the marble. Because that's how creeped out I just got. You can mm. you can literally see it. 
You can. You can, dear listener. You can. It's weird. Okay. Yep. I'll take the ghosty piano then. Because that's like haunted mansion style and I can just pretend I'm in a doom buggy. No. Okay, move on to the next question. Move on while she wigs out. It looks like she's going to vomit. I might. I might vomit. Oh, oh, I just keep getting chills. Stop it. Would you rather... Sorry, I got one more. Would you rather send a ghost send text messages from your phone pretending to be you or see a ghost pretending to be your mom in the upstairs window of your house? Oh, I got another chill again. I'm going to say see a ghost pretending to be my mom in the upstairs window because I can more easily dismiss it but also move on from it. Whereas if the ghost's sending some text messages... What are you sending? And is it going to damage relationships? Yeah. Like, is it recoverable? Are you sending dick pics to people? Oh my God, she better not be sending no dick pics. She probably did. She probably did or would or will now that she is completely possessing Jane's body, which is the truth. And that is what happens at the end of the story. And you can find us about that. Ghostly dick pics. Ghostly no. dick pics. No. Don't we don't want those? We don't, do that's n- not want those. That is that is not cool, Jemima. No. That is not cool. No, it is not cool. Nobody Stop. likes an unsolicited ghostly dick pic. Um, I also will choose. I would rather see a ghost pretending to be my mom in the upstairs window because I don't want to think about a ghost being close enough to me to either you know one borrow my phone without telling me or uh to possess me and send text messages did you just send me a ghost dick pic i'm scared no, I'm why just, are you holding no your i'm phone? just i'm grabbing my phone because i put it on the floor because it was buzzing mm. so i put it away on a cushion on the floor so, so it doesn't get picked up by the mic and now i'm just kind of like there's a ghost <laughs> I'm, I'm cradling my phone it's going in its cradle now yeah yeah so I can see if the ghost starts sending dick pics. If I suddenly freeze, because this is what seems to happen with Jane, like everything freezes, time stops for her. Yeah. And then, you know, so if I suddenly freeze, it's not internet connection, it's a ghost. Do you know what's really scary? That literally happened while you were saying that. Shit. <laughs> Your fingers stopped like this for just a second. Ah, and then okay, you we're went fine. Off. We're fine. Text messages are fine. WhatsApp is all good. Good. Okay. Messenger, fine. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. We're all good. Phew. No ghostly dick pics. Yeah. Yet. Because we're currently recording still, and it's hard to focus on sending, finding ghostly dick pics and sending them whilst still having. A meaningful conversation. I feel like there's a challenge there. <laughs> Last question. <laughs> did you answer this one? You did. You said your mom, didn't you? Yeah, I did. I did. <laughs> My God, this has been... That was a long one. Uh, last one. Would you rather check to make sure Ruth is alive at the end or pull Melanie out of the dirt at the end? 
I don't know. I don't think I want to go inside and find my mother dead. And also, Melanie's a fucking cunt, so I'm just going to leave her in the ground. No, Melanie can stay in the ground. Whatever, love. Yeah. Fertilize those roses. I'm going to sell them on eBay. Yeah, I'm totally going to sell all of those goth roses to everyone who needs them. Oh, so, yeah. Sort of an Etsy shop. Yeah. So I'm going to go check on my mom, for sure. Final flowers. That's what it's called. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll go and check to see if Ruth is alive at the end. She w- she won't be. No. No. She won't be. No. Jemima said too many times. No, she's not going to wake up. Don't worry about it. She said it way too many times. And, like, all the stuff that was crashing around the house, and then she was doing her ghostly moans, which was hilarious, and Ooh. I really, really enjoyed it. But there's no way. There is no way. That she can be alive and not have woken up to hear everything no. that was going on when Melanie The first and time you can delude house. yourself to think that she might have been drugged, perhaps, but after that, no. 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 And she then, did. And then at the very, very end, when Jemima was talking about stuff not being fair, and she's like, yeah, they left me to die. They left me to die. Mm hmm. They're dead. Both mm-hmm. of them are dead. Mm hmm. Yeah, her mother's dead. She's in the hole. Get in the hole. Maybe she is. Maybe she's in another hole. There was holes all over the backyard. It's a very big rose garden. Yeah. Yeah. She's in the hole. Everyone is in the hole. Yep. All right. Favorite final thought quote? There's lots of good ones. There is. There is. Lots of good ones. I will make myself some fucking tea. (laughs) Which, is that a quote from the book? Or is that a quote from me? Who can say? It's a quote from you. Mm -hmm. 1,000%. On take that one. I know what it's like to love something so much you have to eat it. I love that one too. We have a house rule. Genuinely have a house rule. No cannibalism. Mm, yep. <laughs> also, don't kill, your don't kill your parents. Yes, don't kill your parents. No cannibalism. We're trying to save ourselves from being, you know, the parents of a supervillain. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, we are definitely going to be murdered. <laughs> Oh, that's a good one, too. What have you got? Oh. Mm, Let's see. You know, I'm really surprised. There was a couple... There was a couple more that were very, like, food-related. I'm really surprised that you didn't pick them. There was one about, like, getting stuff for s'mores. And (laughs) grief is crying onto your grilled cheese sandwich. I really thought that you were going to pick those. Because as much as we love grilled cheese sandwiches here at Fictional Hangover. Grilled cheese sandwich. Yeah. Um, we are recording and I always, for some reason, crave grilled cheese sandwiches after we've recorded. You know, it's it's all because of Jackson Ford. It's just ingrained it into our souls. It is. Mm, so what else? What else do I pick? Um, ooh, I really liked at the end. When Melanie is in the house and Jane finally confronts her and she says, you seem surprised to see me. 
Jane said calmly. But this is my house, so that's a little strange. <laughs> creep. 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 Um, I also love... I love books so much I could eat them. And finally, in all capital letters, people should just be nice. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. Now, is that a quote from the book or is that a quote from Amanda? It's hard to say. It's hard to say. Need <laughs> some fucking tea and find out. Yes. Ooh. Okay. <sighs> If you liked this, try this. I'm going to tenuous link. More because it was fecking creepy as well. Sure. Wilder Girls by Rory Powell, which we covered. We did a long time ago. It was during... A hundred episodes ago. Yeah, it was episode 86. So it was during the initial um, lockdown. So I want to say it was like between May, probably about mid-June. 2020 because we covered it and we're like oh this is far too real yeah and that was during the period where all of the books were predicting what was going on in the world yeah so yeah yeah creepy so i'm gonna i'm gonna recommend that because it has that weird creepy factor has the the plants in there as well Mm -hmm. um the summary is from panmcmillan.com everyone loses something to the tox hetty lost an eye reese's hand has changed and by it just disappeared completely. It's been 18 months since the school for girls was put in quarantine. The tox turned the students strange and savage. The teachers died off one by one. Cut off from the mainland, the girls don't dare wander past the school's fences where the tox has made the woods wild and dangerous. They wait for the cure as the tox takes, their bodies becoming sick and foreign, things bursting out of them, bits missing. But when by it goes missing, Hetty will do anything to find her best friend. Even if it means breaking quarantine and braving the horrors that lie in the wilderness past the fence. As she digs deeper, she learns disturbing truths about her school and what else is living on Raxter Island. And that the cure might not be a cure at all. Dun, dun, dun. That was such a, a fun episode. A lot of similar themes. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the episode where we talked to Jesse Walensky for the first time. Yes! It's a good time. Go back and check yes. out those episodes for sure definitely what have you got uh i also wanted to suggest a previous episode (laughs) okay no no i like this i I like the fact that we can link these things together it's always fun yeah so mine is episode 117 which was Mm -hmm. dark christmas live it's our Ah. second live episode i believe yeah, I think it was. Yeah, so it's a lot of fun. And, you know, in our live episodes, we talk about short stories. So there's not much of a summary with this one, because honestly, our summary was probably the shortest summary that there could be with this story. But um, what I found is from Nerdist.com, mm-hmm. and their tiny, brief, little, tiny baby summary is, We had borrowed the house from a friend none of us seemed to know the story begins. It follows a narrator who stays at a remote home during the holidays, but not your typical house. It's got all the makings of a haunted house, including an incomplete nativity, because that's not ominous at all. 
Oh, but we had so that was much fun. Really creepy book as yes, well. Yes, it really was. But we had so much fun talking about that book. We and did, then I ended up reading all the rest of those stories in You did, and there were recipes as well. In yeah, there, there were recipes, there? yeah, so it was a lot of fun. It's Jeanette mm-hmm. Winterson. And Dark Christmas is free on Tor.com as well to read. Yeah, I think it's also on The Guardian, maybe. Yes. Yeah, that sounds sounds familiar. Yep. Yep. Or just go back in time, check out our episode. Links are all in to the stories. Yep, 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 yep. Do we have an indie spotlight this week? We do have an indie spotlight, and I only picked this one. It's another one that we got very recently, but I picked this mm-hmm. one because it's horror. But there's not there's not much of a, a tenuous link except for the fact that it's horror. That's all we've got. Mm-hmm. This one is called The Triangle by Robert P. O'Tone. I'm sorry if I said that name incorrectly, but this one just came out. Born with a gift for engineering and technology. Aslan and her father, Merrill, spend their days running a small shop in the flotilla community of Coral Cove. They scavenge shipwrecks, sunken vessels, and what precious little remains of the world before the planet drowned. With her best friend, Ellis, they do their best to support their community while struggling to survive. When a group of scouts, sent by the Order, a mysterious and powerful northeastern cabal, goes missing in the nearby Bermuda Triangle, Merrill is tasked with finding them. Unbeknownst to him, Aslan and Ellis have snuck aboard to join in on the mission to find out what lurks within the Triangle. The ancient cosmic truths they discover may be more terrifying than they ever imagined. Sounds like fun. Bermuda Triangle. Yeah. Sounds like a ton of fun. Do you like a Bermuda Triangle mystery? I know, I know. And it's also dystopian future, mm-hmm. which is also great. We haven't read a lot of dystopian future. No, we haven't. We used to do a lot of dystopian books on well, Fictional it was Hangover the, in the before the time. Well, it was the de jour, wasn't it, for a long time? Yeah, yeah. We haven't done one in a while. I think yeah. it's because we like to cover so many horror books. We do. I can't stop talking about horror books. They're my very most favorite thing. <laughs> Shrug. Deal with it. Sorry, not sorry. Nah. <laughs> All right. Uh, that's it for this episode of Fictional Hangover. I'm Amanda. And I'm Claire. Join us next time as we discuss the next book in our Vampire Book Club series. Dead to the World by Charlene Harris. Be sure to join our Patreon so you can watch this discussion before the episode is released. Then join in on our book club on the last Tuesday of the month. We have so much fun in Vampire Book Club. Everyone needs to join in. Yes. Look out for our Would You Rather polls on social media. Don't forget about our book club and monthly challenges on Facebook. Be sure to visit our shop on Redbubble at fictionalhangover.redbubble.com for all your favorite fictional hangover-themed merchandise and become a patron of ours on Patreon at patreon.com slash fictionalhangover. Until next time, remember, the only cure for a fictional hangover is another book. All the single ladies, all the single ladies, all the single ladies, all the single ladies. Oh, 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 oh. That was really good. <laughs> There's your outro music. (laughs) That's what we're using this time. Oh no. (laughs) You can find us at fictionalhangover.com. Follow us on Instagram at fictionalhangover. 
find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash fictional hangover and on Twitter at fictional hangover no ER. If you'd like this episode, check out our others and rate, review and subscribe so you don't miss out. And finally, special thanks to Liz Emerson for our music. You can find her on Facebook and Patreon. Thanks for listening. <laughs>